openings. That's what we're going to talk about today. Getting something off to a good start and preferably knowing what you want to say before you start talking or writing. Um, so uh, this week we are sharing our favourite openings or maybe just not favourite but effective openings. And because I'm the one currently talking, I have the privilege of going first. And because it is about sharing books, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to spread the love for my favourite book, which is The Summer Book by Toby Jansen. And a lot of people say who, but when I say she's the one who wrote all the Moomin stories, some of those people then know who I mean. But probably have never read anything by her and think it's just for kids but the summer book was her novel for adults and it is absolutely beautiful so this is the opening of the summer book it was an early very warm morning in july and it had rained during the night the bare granite steamed the moss and crevices were drenched with moisture and all the colors everywhere had deepened Below the veranda, the vegetation in the morning shade was like a rainforest of lush, evil flowers and leaves, which she had to be careful not to break as she searched. She held one hand in front of her mouth and was constantly afraid of losing her balance. What are you doing? asked little Sophia. Nothing, her grandmother answered. That is to say, she added angrily, I'm looking for my false teeth. The child came down from the veranda. Where did you lose them? she asked. Here, said her grandmother. I was standing right there and they fell somewhere in the peonies. They looked together. Let me, Sophia said. You can hardly walk. Move over. That's literally the first page. And I love it. I love it because it's hilarious. But also it unfolds so gradually. And it just sets you up for the whole tone of the book and this relationship between little Sophia and her grandmother and what they get up to together one summer. And um, yeah, what did, what did you guys think? Now I wanted to break it down into like essential components. What I've noticed in some of the openings I've looked at, what, what really grabs me is if you've got a setting that immediately is there in your head. And I don't mean it, it doesn't need to say, you know, London, 1989, or, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's, it's, it's a place, but it could be many different places, but, but you're there. There's a relationship that's quickly established and there's a little bit of humor there. That's just kind of, yeah, that links to some of the books that, that some of the openings that I've looked at as mm -hmm. well. So yeah, I, I really like that. And I definitely like to, to read more, to hear more. Yes. I think it's the perfect entree um, <laughs> to the rest of the, the book. It's clear, very clear what, what the author is doing. And I like this when it's uh, obvious to me what I'm looking for. I, I always say that it's easy for me to, to get into the mood of the book if I can relate with the characters very early. Uh, you know, of course, you have to continue that. But from that page, uh, there is the, the rule at the beginning where you can start with, with the weather. It's always helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. I find that to be a very, uh, you know, common rule for every book you might write. You can always start the scene with, with the weather. So I like that. 
And then the dialogue is, you know, it's funny indeed. I laughed. I laughed when she said, looking for my uh, missing teeth. Uh, that was... Uh, me off <laughs> exactly it it unsettles you because old people are usually looking for their glasses they don't usually misplace their teeth in the peonies no <laughs> it's just a great image isn't it it, it really it's, is just an amazing little image and there's yeah. other little details like the flowers are evil then it's not lush and beautiful it's lush and evil and i again that just subverts it a little bit it's it's their battleground the flowers have taken her teeth. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably those two little subversions, that it being the, the false teeth that are, are missing mm. and the fact that, yeah, there's that kind of hint of evil, which which grabbed me more so mm. than if they weren't there. I, I, it could just feel a little bit kind of, I don't know, something would be missing. Yeah. I, I'd need to read more to be grabbed, but just by how many paragraphs was that? Was that, that two? That was two, yeah. Then, yeah, that's that's quite quite special when when did you first read that do you remember um i got this i think about five years ago perhaps and i have a um i have a finnish friend and she had put me on to toby anson's writings and told me to read this and i happened to see it and picked it up and absolutely loved it it's the kind of book where you could just whip right through it, but actually you just want to take it maybe a page at a time just because it's so rich with all that kind of imagery. You want to savour it like a massive ice cream sundae. Don't it's probably it. not something I do very often, but I quite like mm. that idea. Mm. So obviously the, the idea of doing openings for this week's episode was yours. Was it, did it all come from that book? Um, partly, partly it came from that book. Um Partly it came from a book I just received in the post a few days ago because that's how long ago it was published. So it's hot off the press. Oh, it's quite cool now, actually. It's cooled down. Um, but this is Bitter Hall by Helen McClory. And um, she wrote a book. Uh, she's written a couple of books. Um, but the one I loved a few years ago was The Goldbloom Variations, which is a discussion of life in the universe, but around the person of Jeff Goldblum. And it's just a piece of joy. Uh, so when I saw um, this, her latest novel out, I thought I would, I would get it. And I haven't read it yet, but I've read the first paragraph, the first page. But the first paragraph is captivating again, and it's the details. So it begins, I'm on the swing in the garden under the oak bough, late August night. A couple of beers tipped over beside me in the short mossy grass and my heart is a neat bundle of sticks in love with the dead and the unreachable. Up in the house, a single light shines. First floor, the bedroom, my bedroom. So it looks like there's somebody up there. And I, hazy, imagine them looking down on me, and at the same time down on the whole of this city, with some dispassionate warmth like a god. And what got me there, apart from the whole scenery of somebody... I don't know almost hiding maybe in their garden having had a drink but it's that that metaphor my heart is a neat bundle of sticks I've never come across anything like that before it's just such original language and such a different way of looking at things that I'm quite excited about seeing where where that goes uh, and how that develops further 
Um, and knowing knowing her writing from other work, uh, The Flesh of the Peach a few years ago, uh, I think it's going to all be quite... I don't think it's going to disappoint me. I think it's going to keep that pace all the way through, that, that style all the way through. So that's quite interesting because that's one you haven't read, but the, the opening is, is grabbed you, which is, I guess, what we're really thinking about. Mm -hmm. Because some of the ones that I've picked up, I don't know if I could... I know that with one of them, it was the opening that grabbed me when, when I picked it up in a bookshop. The rest, though, I, I knew the kind of synopsis and bought. Mm. And it's now that I'm going back and revisiting and it's like, oh, that opening, yeah, that, that was that was great. Mm. As opposed to, and it's not because they didn't immediately grab me. They, they, they probably did, but I wasn't treating it um, in, in, that, in that way, apart from one of them, which... which not because it's the most magnificent piece of writing, it's just something that, that grabbed me. Mm. I think it's quite a a rare thing. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. But for me, I invest a bit more in a book and just keep going with it as opposed to being grabbed by that first, you know, I mean, the Tove Jansen thing, the, the first two paragraphs, that's just an incredible thing mm. to, be, to be grabbed by. What's the, what's the book vaguely about, the Helen McCrory one? Um, it is, um, it's set in a northern city. Uh, we've got three intertwining lives, Daniel, Orla and Tom, um, insecting through a flat share. Um, but it also involves a 19th century diary written by a dashing gentleman who may not be entirely dead. Ooh. So massively intriguing. Yeah. Because um, you definitely get a hint at the first part of that in that opening. It's atmospheric, isn't it? Yeah, mm. but the second part obviously will, will be revealed so that's quite that's quite yeah. interesting and again a bit of subversion um, absolutely yeah shall i be cheeky and read one more paragraph do it. i'm gonna do yeah. it and then i'll hand over to fotis so that somebody else gets a turn but um i would this is this is a book that grabbed me with the opening paragraph and i knew nothing about it um this is shirley jackson we've always lived in the castle and it's now one of my favorite books but i'd never heard of it never heard of her um, but I picked this up and was flicking through, didn't know what it was about. And I read the first paragraph and I thought, oh, wow. My name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I'm 18 years old and I live with my sister Constance. I have often thought that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length. But I've had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself and dogs and music sorry, noise. I like my sister Constance and Richard Plantagenet and Amanita Phalloides, the death cat mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. Wow. Wow. Now that's yeah. a personality. And oh my goodness, I know people who've, who listen to this, a lot of them might well have, a lot of them, that's hilarious. Out of our four listeners. High percentage. One or two which is a high percentage, might have come across this, but it is amazing. And it's that slow reveal all the way through. And again, it's that sense of setting up, what are we going to discover? Who is this person? But it's not what it seems. Brilliant. There's something about the language I found a little bit jarring, but in a good way. That's, mm. that's what drew me to that. I, I quite like, it sounds like possibly slightly more of a challenge than 
the Toby Anson one. I, I don't yeah. know anymore, but just um, some of the word choices. I, I, I like that and, and some of the punctuation. Um, I think, again, it's that subversion. But I'm always drawn to someone who's slightly playing with elements that mm -hmm. we know. Um, so, yeah. I, I like the how, although you are the one reading it, there is a different voice to its, to its <laughs> opening. Is there? <laughs> yeah, well, no, well, there is. You're right. Yeah. I mean, the way it's written, that's what I mean by voice, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the writing voice. Um, but you can see the differences when, when someone decides from the angle of the story. I think you get from the opening voice a lot of the times how, how the story is going to be told. And uh, because we're talking about opening books and we all try to write something, I think it's important you get that voice early on. I think, uh, you know, a distinct way of expecting that the story to be told. It, it is from, you know, from what is said as well, not necessarily from the choice of words and the, and the language. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. I know Shirley Jackson is very, I think Ian mentions it a lot. I think that's what I know I've mm -hmm. heard this action from in the past. Uh, anyway, but yeah, uh, all three of them, I think, had something. Mm -hmm. Very different to what I'm going to <laughs> from what I'm going to share. Shall I go on? Go for it. it mine is a little bit longer than two paragraphs. Uh, I just decided to go with uh, scenes essentially. It's uh, both of them are three pages long, but I don't think they are uh, too heavy or too uh, long. You know, for three pages, it's not like the type the typewriter is small. <laughs> so, the first book is from. Sitchin uh, Liu, I might be pronouncing it wrong. Uh, it's the three-body problem. It's a translated uh, from it's translated from Chinese. The translator is Ken Liu. Um, it's science fiction, uh, but the first scene is set in China in 1967. So there's no science fiction in that scene. It's mostly um, the beginning of the Cultural Revolution and and how the book starts. The Red Union had been attacking the headquarters of the April 28th Brigade for two days. The red flags fluttered restlessly around the brigade, building like flames yearning for firewood. The Red Union commander was anxious, though not because of the defenders he faced. The more than 200 Red Guards of the April 28th Brigade were mere greenhorns compared with the veteran Red Guards of the Red Union which was formed at the start of the great proletarian cultural revolution in early 1966. The Red Union had been tempered by the tumultuous experience of revolutionary tours around the country and seeing Chairman Mao in the great rallies in Tiananmen Square. But the commander was afraid of the dozen or so iron stoves inside the building, filled with explosives and connected to each other by electric detonators. He couldn't see them but he could feel their presence like iron sensing the pull of a nearby magnet. If a defender flipped the switch, revolutionaries and counter-revolutionaries alike would all die in one giant ball of fire. And the young red guards of the April 28th Brigade were indeed capable of such madness. Compared with the weathered men and women of the, of the first generation of red guards, the new rebels were a pack of wolves on hot coals, crazier than crazy. The slender figure of a beautiful young girl emerged at the top of the building, waving the giant red banner of the April 28th Brigade. Her appearance was greeted immediately by a cacophony of gunshots. The weapons attacking her with were a diverse mix. 
antiques such as American carbines, chess style machine guns, Japanese Type 38 rifles, newer weapons such as standard issue People's Liberation Army rifles and submachine guns stolen from the PLA after the publication of the August editorial. And even a few Chinese dadao, swords and spears. Together they formed a condensed version of modern history. Numerous members of the April 28th Brigade had engaged in similar displays before. They'd stand on top of the building, wave the flag, shout slogans through megaphones, and scatter flyers at the attackers below. Every time the courageous man or woman had been able to retreat safely from the hailstorm of bullets and earn glory for their valor. valor. The new girl clearly thought she'd be just as lucky. She waved the battle banner as though brandishing her burning youth trusting that the enemy would be burned to ashes in the revolutionary flames, imagining that an ideal world would be born tomorrow from the ardor and zeal coursing through her blood. She was intoxicated by her brilliant crimson dream until a bullet pierced her chest. Her 15-year-old body was so soft that the bullet hardly slowed down as it passed through it and whistled in the air behind her. The young red guard tumbled down along with her flag, her light form descending even more slowly than the piece of red fabric, like a little bird unwilling to leave the sky. The Red Union warriors shouted in joy. A few rushed to the foot of the building, tore away the battle banner of the April 28th Brigade, and seized the slender, lifeless body. They raised their trophy overhead and flaunted it for a while before tossing it toward the top of the metal gate of the compound. Most of the gate's metal bars, capped with sharp teeth, had been pulled down at the beginning of the factional civil wars to be used as spears, but two still remained. As their sharp tips caught the girl, life seemed to return momentarily to her body. The Red Guards backed up some distance and began to use the impaled body for target practice. For her, the dense storm of bullets was now no different from a gentle rain, as she could no longer feel anything. From time to time, her vine-like arms jerked across her body softly, as though she were flicking off drops of rain. And then half of her young head was blown away, and only a single beautiful eye remained to stare at the blue sky of 1967. There was no pain in that gaze, only solidified devotion and yearning. And yet, compared to some others, she was fortunate. At least she died in the throes of passionately sacrificing herself for an ideal. Wow. Um, this, this opening, has just stayed with me since the day I read it. I, the emotions, uh, the, the language as well, I think the metaphors and the way everything was used. Uh, tell me what you think, because I, I every time I read it, I'm like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, change of pace from what I chose, but yeah, yeah, very, very I, I think, yeah, it's very immediate, isn't it? You're right there with them and you're feeling it with them. And I think it's so shocking and stark and brutal. But the way it's conveyed is so gentle. Uh, it's all about gentleness and it's all about belief and love. And, and there was something uh, near the beginning about flames in search of firewood, which just sums up Maoist China perfectly. Mm. It's 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 valor or zeal in search of a cause. Yes. It, it, I mean, it you first read it, for us. 
in at some point in the summer, I think in August. Right, so it's a very recent one. Very recent, but uh, trust me, it's it's not that I remember a lot of book openings of books that I haven't read, you know, twice or three times. Mm. I can't pick out a lot of book openings. This one, just when I read it, I realized what they mean about a great opening. You know, not not necessarily not necessarily the first paragraph, but the first scene and mm. how immediately, as you said, everything that you said, Karina, the language, how gently, how see, he uses the, the you know the the idea of a fifteen year old girl, you know, and all that she represents with her body, and how she was you know standing up for for her, for ideals and. The brutality of everything you know how they they don't care who is up there and they just shoot and mm. uh, that that mix of humanity and inhumanity in, in one go it's uh yeah it's i don't know i just thought uh i can understand why it stayed with you because it's it's also very vivid in in the imagery i mean it does conjure up such a picture yeah and especially at the end where half the face is blown off. I mean, you can just picture it and, you know, have one eye staying there. And But what he says, you know, it stays towards uh, the sky of 1967. And mm. there's no, you know, he doesn't finish it with, with something negative, the sentence. He finishes it with something nice, you know, with, with a hope, essentially. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, that, was a, very, that was a really powerful one. I, I think... So going back to what I said earlier, I, when we first said about doing this as this week's episode, I panicked because I thought, oh, I, I can't remember any. And it was only through going through the books on the shelf mm -hmm. that I started to think. And then I and I basically just was having a little flick through them. So, yeah, to have one that really does stick with you, because like I, I'm the same. I don't remember. I don't remember chunks of books. I can remember general passages in terms of things that happened, but I wouldn't be able to quote books mm. my memory just doesn't work like that so yeah to have something that really sticks with you even if it is fairly recently is quite an amazing thing i think yeah there's something about that contrast of the grotesque with the kind of would hope will be the right word is is again it's that subversion i'm just mm. so drawn to that and mm. um, it kind of i hate the phrase but leaps off the page at you it's you can't help but want to explore it more Yes, not, yeah. you're, you're definitely not bored within that sequence. No, no, no. There's an intensity there. I think uh, the the kindness I think has to do more with um, with what Karina said in terms of how he conveys the the image. You know, uh, yes, there is enough contrast there to make to make you think. I think the hopeful when I said the use hopeful because that's what I wasn't I want to comment on is. The revolution aspect of it you know she dies for an ideal so it's not like and it, it just makes me think you know when when it goes to uh when when there's a revolution and uh you know you know there will be victims you know the people will, will die but uh it sort of brings into focus these kind of things in your mind uh is it worth it you know uh, because the brutality is still there and every country has you know some history of um of uh, how do you say civil uh, civil wars uh, and and you know in Greece it's very recent as well so that's that's why mm. in some ways uh, impacted me a little bit more. Mm, yeah, that's true. Well, thanks. And do you think this is going to feed into your own writing, your own well, the, the book that you're? 
it's not it's uh, well i can't uh, i can't have the same kind of uh, the, the, the 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 subject i'm dealing with doesn't have something so uh, brutal in the beginning it's certainly there will be some brutality at some point and i think i do want to i think some some scenes have to convey the same the same kind of balance of uh, emotions uh, how, but it's it's later not not in the first uh, in the first chapter in the first chapter it's most likely going to be the thing we read a few weeks ago uh, which i think very quickly um, brings out two characters and what they really uh, you know, are about and the conflict in the beginning a little bit so uh, that will set the story uh, going it has its own intensity yes oh. yes yes absolutely josh do you want to go because i i took up a lot of time no 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 that was good um i yeah i've got a selection of books there's a few that were um kind of for the humor and again going back to the false teeth stuff um <laughs> that I really liked. I'll, I'll just pick out one. This is Blue Bluebeard by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, I'm kind of slightly paraphrasing. Um, he says, so basically it's a, a kind of autobiography by a fictional artist. Um, yeah, so he says, I'm the erstwhile American painter Rabo Karabakian, a one-eyed man. I was born of immigrant parents in San Ignacio, California in 1916. I begin this autobiography 71 years later. To those unfamiliar with the ancient mysteries of arithmetic, that makes this year 1987. I was not born a cyclops. I was deprived of my left eye while commanding a platoon of army engineers. Curiously enough, artists of one sort or another in, in civilian life in Luxembourg near the end of World War II. We were specialists in camouflage, but at that time were fighting for our lives as ordinary infantry. The unit was composed of artists, since it was the theory of someone in the army that we would be especially good at camouflage. So... There's just I, I like the kind of immediate kind of humor of it. This character that he's created. I'm not. A, I'm. I wasn't born a cyclops. That sort of um, mm -hmm. sort of something grand about his language and that kind of. Um, that is how he is throughout the book. He's got sort of slight delusions of grandeur, although he, he does have this amazing history, fictional history, I should say. And um, similarly with the, the hearing trumpet by Leonora, Carrington. Um, it's just things about her. They're all first person, some of these books, and it is physical things that she says. Um, this one, again, I'm, I'm skipping the first couple of paragraphs, but it's um, basically about 92-year-old um, Marianne Leatherby, who has been giving a hearing trumpet and lives with her family in Spain and longs to be free and go back to England. And she says... The fact that I have no teeth and never could wear dentures does not in any way discomfort me. I don't have to bite anybody and there are all sorts of soft edible foods easy to procure and digestible to the stomach. Mashed vegetables, chocolate and bread dipped in warm water make the base of my simple diet. I never eat meat as I think it is wrong to deprive animals of their life when they are so difficult to chew anyway. And I just, again, it's that little bit of, <laughs> of humour and in this first person. Um, and the other one was was coming up for hour. I, I won't read any of that, but again, it's from this first person character, and he describes himself, and he's not particularly attractive, but he kind of is in slight denial about that. Um, I'll very quickly, if we've got time, Karina. We've got time. We've got two yeah, minutes. I'll read the opening uh, three paragraphs of Just Kids by Patty Smith. Can, um, can I ask you to do it a little bit slower, please? Uh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. I will try with this one. 
So this is the one that I, I already had an interest in Patty Smith, but um, basically because of uh, I just picked up the book, I had a read, and I was so immediately in the life that she sets out. It's, it's more of a memoir um, about her relationship with Robert um, Mapplethorpe, who was a photographer, and their life in sort of New York in the 60s and 70s. So she says, When I was very young, my mother took me for walks in Humboldt Park along the edge of the Prairie River. I have vague memories, like impressions on glass plates, of an old boathouse, a circular band shell, an arched stone bridge. The narrows of the river emptied into a wide lagoon, and I saw upon its surface a singular miracle. A long curving neck rose from a dress of white plumage. Swan, my mother said, sensing my excitement. It patted the bright water, flapping its great wings and lifted into the sky. The word alone hardly attested to its magnificence, nor conveyed the emotion it produced. The sight of it generated an urge I had no words for, a desire to speak of the swan, to say something of its whiteness, the explosive nature of its moment and the slow beating of its wings. The swan became one with the sky. I struggled to find words to describe my own sense of it. Swan, I repeated, not entirely satisfied, and I felt a twinge, a curious yearning, imperceptible to passers-by, my mother, the trees, or the clouds. Um, and I just really like the speed with which it, it moves through. Mm. Um it's quite a powerful image of a child just and it kind of um hints at her relationship to her imagination and and books and storytelling mm. um and it's just an, an, an amazing I, I don't think i've i've not read many books that have so many kind of memorable sentences even though i couldn't quote any here but it's just one that i could just keep rereading just because it's, it's amazingly written and it's like and it's not fiction and that was one of the things that i quite liked is, mm-hmm. It's a memoir and yeah. Any thoughts? 